Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, it's going. Uh, the thing we're going to talk about today is the annualized thermal inertia test up at Allerton Abbey. And so Jennifer's going to spend all winter up there. And um, and she has managed to convince uh, the occasional boot to go up there and and stay some nights up there with the idea that uh, uh, their body heat might add a little bit more heat to the <laughs> building. So uh, you there's and then and another thing that's going to try you're going to try and do is to try to have like some of the meals for the boot camp to happen up there. So that there's more cooking and again bodies, right? Because <laughs> each body puts out a hundred watts of heat per well constantly, right? You know, so it's uh, it's not a huge heat source, but it is a heat source. Absolutely. And um and basically the thing is is that uh this fall while you guys were finishing up the floors in there those floors needed to be able to dry mm-hmm. and that one of the techniques used was to open all the windows and leave them open 24/7 and so it was fall and so we were touching into freezing temperatures so basically the mass temp got set to something pretty cold so then we started to try to and, and so Jennifer's just nodding a lot. Yeah, I know like, they can't see me nod on the podcast. So, so um, uh, then the next thing was is like, okay, let's see if we can get it up to eighty-five degrees inside just for a moment. Now we've we don't have a heater in there, right? Um, and I we've got to super emphasize there is no heater in this building at all and it's kind of like as we talk about trying to do things then um a lot of people are are like well there's that rocket cooktop in there you're heating with that and it's like yeah that's like trying to heat your home by turning on the back burner like now i'm heating my home which is legit it's a heat source not exactly designed to heat your home but it does add some heat right I mean, the rocket cooktop is actually designed to heat the cooking service and move the rest of the heat out of the structure as quickly as possible. Um, it is not a rocket mass heater. So when we've been trying to artificially charge the mass by running the rocket cooktop, it's been very difficult to get the temperature up to 85, 86. Um, it requires several days in the beginning of running the cooktop all day. Um, I had people like ferrying wood to me from base camp because I couldn't leave and stop burning the stove long enough or the cooktop long enough to go get the wood and still manage to to keep it up to temp. Um, And even so, it takes, you know, 12 or 14 hours of burning it constantly for it to get to 85, and then it stays there for an hour and then it drops back down. Um, if it's a, you, it's yeah. a silly, it's a silly way to try to heat anything. Absolutely. And at the same time, I think that you're. It is. It is throwing off some heat. Sure. And and because the mass is there and the mass is cold, it's absorbing a lot of that heat. The mass of the Wafati. The not, mass of the Wafati. Not Just of the, the, the building itself. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like the... And, and so, so basically, this podcast is about the annualized thermal inertia mm-hmm. test. Mm-hmm. And this particular winter, the best we're going to be able to do for any kind of testing is strictly indicative. Next year is the real test. And the way to do the real test is first for the, the spring and summer and fall, we have to take the appropriate steps to help charge the mass. Right. Oh, and Josiah's here too. Hey. hey. <laughs> What's going on? 
So, uh, uh, and and Josiah's been up there at Outer Tanabi a lot this fall, and uh, with with Jennifer. Um, and uh, at the same time, uh, Josiah is one of the people taking on a more more of a leadership role in in the boot camp. So um, I don't know. You lead the boots like a third of the time or so. I mean, Fred's not here right now, and so now it's probably more than that. Yeah. I, I leave the boots sometimes. <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> so you've you have uh, you've got some construction experience before you got here, but also most importantly, uh, you have managed uh, market gardens, and um, and this upcoming year is the big the big food year. We're going to do fuck tons of food systems, and so um, my impression is is that that's the thing that you're the most excited about. I love eating 99% food that I've grown. Just, you know, it just makes me so happy. So we're going to do that here, and that's yeah. going to be awesome. And and then there's innovation. I know that with the uh, the Flem the project, that uh, you're the guy running point on Flem. The Fresnel lens glass melter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big magnifying glass. There's a lot of sun out here in Montana. so you know. Big sky country. Big sky. Our sky is bigger than average skies. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, all right. Annualized thermal inertia test. Mm-hmm. So there's three of us in this podcast, and um, uh, all right. The the notes that I have in my thing. So um, we talked about how the ATI test this year can only be indicative. We can only do short tests. Right, because the mass wasn't charged <clears throat> during the summer because the abbey was under construction and is still semi under construction to make it a truly livable space. Right, uh, and so what? What's left on the Abbey for cons- construction-wise? Right, um, there's some cosmetic things to do with the plastering. Um, there's the final layer of floor in two cells. Um, most of the cob floor is built, but it needs a finish layer so that it's not just dust and straw all the time. Um, and we just need to build out the interior. We recently built ourselves a sink. Well, Josiah mostly built us a sink. Um, and we need, you know, shelving and places to put things and a dining table, things like that, which would also help with having community meals there. It's yeah. hard with no sink and no table. Right. And and so, I mean, we have the wood to make a table. We're working on it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like all all year this year it's been hair on fire mode totally and so we've put a huge amount of effort into Allerton Abbey right and now a huge amount of effort is going into the berm shed and but the berm shed is like really close to being done all the cells are done and we're really working on the edges and then the facade and then maybe a little bit more dirt on top and it's and that would be it and then we get to seed it and start gardening on that other side of the barrel. right mulching it maybe a little bit oh yeah 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 Yeah. that's another thing that needs to be done with the abbey um we need to construct junk pole fence so that we can garden it needs some mulching and there are a few more things in the interior that we'd like to do in order order to um, help out with the ATI test, um, even though it'll only be indicative this year, we'd like to have some window quilts. Currently, we just have bare windows, and they are um, a loss of heat on a regular basis. Um, we'd also like to, you know, weather strip the doors. The doors currently, they're beautiful, heavy, insulated doors, but they need a little bit of adjustment so that they open and close more easily and have some weather stripping. Um, but that's mostly it. The Abbey's pretty close to finished. And I think that um, once the berm shed is done, which will be in a couple of, like by the time people listen to this podcast, the berm shed will be done. Woo! Knock on wood, Paul, right now. Thank you. All right. So, and then the next highest priority is going to be a focus on Allerton Abbey again, but more like, okay, let's get the junk pole fence up so that way the gardens that we grow aren't just simply feeding the deer. Um, And I think, yeah, a good one is going to be like, let's get those window quilts up. Mm -hmm. And have you started a thread yet about that? I know we were talking about that. I have started a thread about that on Permies. Um, I think it has one reply currently. Um, So, you know, come reply in my thread. So how do we do this naturally? 
while at the same time not create something that's just going to turn to mold the first week. Exactly. Yeah. That's the main issue is um, at the Abbey, we're trying to use all natural materials whenever possible. Um, and so many of the window quilt designs on the Internet... Uh, use an artificial, a synthetic layer for insulation or a vapor barrier or are not designed for, you know, a cold condensation puddle. (laughs) So we'd like to come up with a good design for that. If anyone has any ideas. You know, we shared a quick tour, a a little video. So Josiah's been making, how many videos have you made so far? Like 20? Yeah, somewhere around there. I lost track. Okay. All right. All right. And you got lots more videos coming out. Oh, yeah. And one of them was... um, Allerton Abbey, just a quick tour of Allerton Abbey of like where it is now, which is really quite. I think it looks it's really beautiful right now. I think so too. It yeah. was even better because we built that counter and sink top. And yeah. Some firewood storage inside. Oh, the firewood storage is so much better. <laughs> yeah, having just like piles of firewood and cardboard boxes and bark everywhere was driving me a little crazy. So that's much better now. So. Two or three different comments from two or three different places um, uh, were the were the same comment, and it's like, okay, am I to understand this correctly? You, that building has no cement. Right. It has none. Nope. It has no cement. Um, does it have anything resembling glue anywhere? No. Yeah. So I think we're doing really good. No cement. No. Glue, like there's no plywood or particle board or wafer board. No. Uh, in fact, um, I would say that uh, I, w- I want to say 99%. Let me just start off by saying 99%. 99% of the wood came off of the land. Right. It's mostly a log structure, and we got the logs here. Whenever it's like we need to put some more wood right here, then, like, I know that I've seen pictures of you, Jennifer, like, Here's a log. It got cut to the length, and then you're out there with a draw knife, peeling the top of it to flatten it. Right. And it's like, so I mean, that that's our that's our lumber store is like right there. Right. It's Absolutely. Right there. And if you, the other thing is, is like if you look around Allerton Abbey, and this is a kind of a unique thing I think in Montana. Our soils up at the lab are 40 feet deep. And so what happens is, is that you get these trees that are growing so incredibly thick, like you can't see 20 feet into the forest. <clears throat> and and so the problem with that is, is that um, you you could end up with a, a wildfire bait right. uh, situation. So you really you need to thin it. And that's like, you know, so it's it's not only is it free wood, but on top of that, if, you know, we got to get out there. And, and a lot of other properties in Montana, A, they don't have 40 feet deep soil like we have. And um, B, if they see trees like the way our trees are, then they are told the thing that they have to do is to cut all that stuff out and thin it and and burn it. And so, in fact, uh, next month is January, and I, um, you'll notice that the the um, the air around here is going to get smoky, really smoky, like as if there's a forest fire in the area. As everybody has taken these, um, they've they've gone and thinned it all out, and they've made these mountains of wood, and they threw a tarp over it. And now in January, when there's no danger of forest fire, they're going to go and set all those on fire. All at the same time, so we can all suck smoke at the same time. So, um, anyway, so we're we're effectively sequestering this carbon <laughs> in a much better way. All right, sorry, I, I kind of went off on a few different tangents there. Let's talk about um, exterior temp at this time of year and interior temp. Um, and so, if your so the mass has not been charged properly, correct, and you're just living in there. Right. And you are cooking a couple. So let's talk about how often you're cooking and, and how much there might be there. But, of course, you're living in there and how often you're living in there. But most importantly, we've got tracking thermometers. Right. And and so tell me about that. Okay. So um, you can see more of the data on my Permis thread. I think it's like Jen's Allerton Abbey and boot camp experience or something like that. You're uploading graphs from the tracking thermometers like once a week or so. Yeah, that's correct. Um, 
I would say right now the interior temps have been hovering around the 50 degree mark, occasionally dropping below when Josiah and I are really busy, as we have been lately, um, and not cooking in there as much, uh, while the exterior temps are hovering around 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so there's approximately a 30 degree difference between the interior and exterior temperatures at the Abbey right now, despite the mass not being charged this year. So the mass not being charged is kind of like if you just live in there, it'll be 30 degrees warmer. Perhaps. Yeah. That's... But now I think one interesting thing, though, is like you, you'll run the cooktop mm-hmm. and it doesn't really change the interior temperature much. But if you were probably going to try and run that exact same cook be- cooktop in, say, the red cabin, mm-hmm. which is basically just an insulated cabin, right? then um, the interior temperature would probably go up to like 85 in half an hour. Right. I mean, the mass of the Wofati, well, it's inert. <laughs> like, that's that's the inertia part. It's difficult to heat it a ton, and hopefully, once it's been charged, it will be, it will also resist cooling very quickly, which is the idea of the annualized thermal inertia. Um, but yeah, the running the cooktop, uh, only for meals, which is what we've been doing. Which has been once a day. Once a day, approximately. Yeah. Because doing do, doing the boot camp and um, and also taking care of our own personal projects, a lot of that time we end up spending at base camp uh, currently. So it's it's usually just been breakfast, um, mm-hmm. breakfast and tea. Uh, so it gets the the cooktop maybe gets run for like an hour, once once a day. Um, to cook breakfast and make make hot water for tea. Right. Uh, It gets a little more use on weekends, quite a bit more use on weekends, usually. Um, And at one point, I was... You guys are tea drinkers. Oh, yeah. I have have an addiction. It's a problem. Um, Now that it's 20 degrees outside, I only drink hot water. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now, you know, a a quick, another little tangent... Um, this is kind of so. Both of you are in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you? Uh, this is how did you guys come out here? <laughs> All right. Um, both of us actually were Kickstarter contributors to the Better World book. Um, and how is that book? <laughs> excellent. It's a fabulous book, Paul. <laughs> I just can't hear that enough. <laughs> um, and we both happened to be one of the few people who uh, won tickets to the PDC and ATC. Um, so good job for giving away those tickets. Cause yeah, thank you, I never Paul. probably would have showed up here, but uh, you so know. I know I know Jennifer, you arrived here like three days before the PDC started. That's correct. Um, yeah, I came to help uh, prepare a little bit, defrost Jocelyn's chest freezer, do a couple of things before the PDC started. So by the time people started showing up for the PDC, we're like, ask Jennifer. Right, right. <laughs> I still didn't know where anything was, but like I knew more than they did. So. But it seems like there were certain aspects you were just taking on, and right. everybody started showing up. It's like, oh yeah, Jennifer knows that one. Go find Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm that, glad I hung out at the hot springs for a few days before showing up. Oh yeah, I see how it is. <laughs> So then, um, but then, uh, so you guys, you guys won the tickets, mm-hmm. and there were six tickets that were given out. And that was a stretch goal as part of the Kickstarter that six people would get these tickets. And so then, you guys won the tickets, and you came for both the PDC and the ATC. Yes. And then you were released after the ATC. The other people who won tickets, poof, they're gone. Right. Right. And then, uh, but you guys. Well, I, I, I definitely, um, I love to work, uh, and this is a really cool project, and I was watching the Boots uh, do cool things during the PDC and ATC, and um, I wanted to contribute a little bit after being given such an awesome uh, gift of the courses, as well as uh, I just felt really good here. Um, it's a really great vibe, really wonderful people, and uh, I was really enjoying the, the schedule and the work and the projects, as well as there was some unfinished business from the ATC. Um, I got to stick around and work on the Fresnel lens glass melter for an additional couple weeks. Um, And then I just decided to stay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I've been on the permies.com community for a few years, and I had kind of followed the progress of the Wofati. And I wanted to see the ATI test done. 
Um, and so I figured maybe I should just stick around and do it. <laughs> so I was sort of toying with the idea of volunteering for that throughout the PDC and then spoke to Paul about it. Um, and we arranged for that to happen, but the Abbey still needed more work. So in the interim, I joined the boot camp, but I really liked the boot camp. And so I ended up staying in boot camp and doing the ATI test rather than, you know, being a hermit for the winter in the Wofati. And yeah, I just, same as Josiah. I really like the people here. I like the work. I think the project is cool and wanted to contribute to it. Awesome. Okay, now back to the annualized thermal nurse test. Right. And uh, I thought that was great information and everything, and, and it's always exciting when, when people come by and, I don't know, they're one of us. I think most people that come by would go down the road for a bunch of different reasons, most of them being like, you know, they, they think this place is shit. And so it's like, it's fine. But but there's some people where it's like, no, this this place, this no, is the place. Cool. Yeah, yeah, some people think it's cool. So, um, all right. Uh, um, and I think, you know, what we, what I'd like to do is to get to the point that we've got like 30 people that stay here year round, um, yeah. someday. That'd be cool. Uh, 30 people that are like us. 30 right. people that, that are into this stuff. You know, uh, so anyway, <clears throat> please tell me about that experiment you did early on. We, we were just getting started with the um, uh, indicative tests. Mm -hmm. And uh, you needed, and the, the mission was to get the temperature up to 85 degrees. We picked a random, let's call it a random number, but 85 degrees. It's like get, right. so what did you do? Um, so I kept the house bottled up um, and ran the rocket cooktop for as much as I could for hmm, a couple of weeks, probably going on 14 days. Um, I wasn't able to run it all day during that period of time because of boot camp, but I would like run back to the Abbey from Fred's plot or from whatever we were working on or while we were cobbing. Um, we had to leave the doors open a lot then, but we would run the stove. And slowly it would be like one day I was able to get it up to 65, then I'd get it up to 70, and it slowly progressed until I spent like an entire weekend. I started at 5 in the morning and then just... or. I ran it all day Saturday, and then on Sunday, I started at 5 in the morning, and I ran it all night, or all day, and then I would wake up in the middle of the night, I put my cot by the stove and a pile of wood by me, not so close that I would catch on fire, <laughs> um, and, like, I would just, like, wake up and, like, open it up, feed it some wood, and fall back asleep, and did that throughout the night until it finally got up to 85, um... I want to I want to kind of focus on the part where because um, I think this is in the, in the words you just said. Right. There's a powerful indicative thing about the mass. Right. And that is that when you started, there's no fucking way you'd get it up to 85. No. It's it was an accumulative thing. So the next day you started off like you got up in the morning. I mean, there there this is not a rocket mass heater. This is a cooktop. Yes. And and so you'd start the day the next day, and it's already a little bit warmer. Right. And then when you'd finish, it'd be a little bit warmer than the day before. Now, here's the thing. is like, for example, in the middle of summer, when it's like 95 degrees outside, you'll go inside of like Cooper Cabin, mm -hmm. and it'll be like 72 in there. Right. We it'll be really comfortable. That's because the mass is absorbing all of that heat, making the space in there very comfortable. Right. And so I kind of feel like you're going to run this cooktop and it's barely going to change the temperature in there because the the mass is absorbing that heat. But unlike the annualized thermal inertia, the heat's not going to go very far in because no. it's, it's a temporary thing. No, it doesn't last. Um, it would drop down quite quickly um, after... You know, the incremental sort of bringing it up that you're mentioning is exactly correct. And then by the next morning, it would be, you know, a couple degrees warmer than it had started out the day before. But it certainly resisted the change in temperature. And then, like, okay, oh, hallelujah, finally, after all that work, you had a moment. I think you said an hour it was okay. probably it probably wasn't even an hour. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. less than an hour. Right. 
85! Yay! We did it! After all these weeks, we finally got to 85! Now, that doesn't mean that the annualized aspect is charged. Right. But there's maybe a weeklyized right. <laughs> aspect that's charged, or maybe even a monthlyized, you know. So it's like, okay, so there's there's a charge. The mass has been charged. Right. And then almost immediately after that, it's like, well, now that it's charged, I have to go do something yeah. away from Allerton Abbey, but don't worry, I'll be back in a couple of days. Tell us about that. How how cold did it get while you were away? Uh, well, because we had tracking thermometers outside. They, right, right. Well, the one time that I was actually away from the Abbey a couple of days was when I got stuck down here because of the snow uh, before I was able to get my snow tires, which was its own drama. But um, that was also the time. We use the word comedy. Yeah, it, I think it might have verged on tragedy. <laughs> but. But yes, there was comedy regarding my snow tires for like a month. But um, that was also the time that the door shifted mysteriously on its hinges and would no longer stay closed. So I was away from the Abbey for... This is the back door. The back door, correct. Um, I was away from the Abbey for a day and a night. I slept down here at base camp because I couldn't get to the lab due to weather. And when I got back, the door, the back door was hanging open and it had dropped to zero degree outside yeah, yeah. i and thought it was less under zero it was okay it was <laughs> negative 0. 0.5 <laughs> yeah that's below zero <laughs> um and it dropped into the low 40s in the abbey after approximately 48 hours of being away from it with the door hanging open which i think is still that's an that's an amazing, indicative yeah. like that's pretty amazing it's you're being exposed to zero but the right. interior temperature is still above freezing right and cloud jeremy's cat had uh, broken in through that door and eaten all of his cat food <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, we're talking about indicative mm-hmm. and so um now you've Close the door, mm-hmm. and 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 while the the doors, I think that the doors are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, we've got they've got some evolution to go through still. We've got a few. We need to do a few more generations of like let's make these doors even cooler still. But uh, and and I've got we could probably do a whole podcast just on the doors. But the 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 bottom line is is that the doors currently need some love, and uh, and so uh, I think in a way it kind of shows how how uh, nice the doors are that they could open. But but these doors are extremely heavy. Right. They're extremely thick. They're insulated. They're homemade insulated doors. Yes. So they're thick. They're very just thick. Yeah, yeah. They're very very thick. And um uh Ernie was really concerned about these doors. He was afraid. He was he, he didn't want to have anything to do with the doors. He he would just go on and on about how you shouldn't build these doors they're going you know the the someone's going to swing a door closed and someone else's arm is going to be there and they're going to scissor off somebody's arm so how many arms have been lost to these doors so far well i've got one left no (laughs) no 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 arms have been lost to the door i don't foresee that being a big issue we Frequently slam the doors quickly, trying to exclude the cats, and no cats' arms have been lost to the door. I, I think I think it's a, a safe door. I think it's fine. Yeah, I think it's been. I think we could even make the door be twice as heavy as it is, and we'll still be fine. Right. You know, so it's it's um. I mean, you definitely feel it. I mean, and I think that there's a cool thing too. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you're when you're moving the door, it's like. That just feels amazing. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Lately, I've been thinking about it as like, all right, bring my breath to center, engage my core, and push. Because you're pushing this massive thing, and it's just like, it takes all this effort to get it to start moving. You know, you have to like right. break it off the, you know, where it's sitting, and then and then it slowly opens. It's, it's, so, it's, it's like so pleasant. All, all other people in the world live a shallow, pitiful existence. <laughs> Because they don't have 
these doors. <laughs> I mean, it is, a, it is a soul building thing to just open and close this door, isn't it? Just because of just the weight of it. Not- Clearly, Josiah has like some sort of deep communion with these doors. Um, I mostly just like slam them open and shut with my hips because I'm not, you know, nearly <laughs> as centered of a person as he is. But they're really beautiful doors, and I enjoy looking at them and having them. So you don't you don't feel. Uh, because I kind of feel like we're talking about an aesthetic that's something that you cannot see. It's right. it's a non-visual aesthetic. Josiah knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm going to stop talking to you. <laughs> Josiah, it is a non-visual aesthetic. Yeah. No. Well, it's kind of like it's kind of like rolling away the stone, you know, from a tomb or something. Okay, like <laughs> all right. No, I definitely right like it's a more soul-building experience to to touch and move these doors than it is like your standard aluminum door that's stuck on yeah. a Although horrible it's, house. It's not very soul-building when you can't get it open or closed. That's the current <laughs> problem. Yeah, they're a little sticky currently and need some work. Um, in terms of perhaps adjusting the hinges so that the action is more smooth. But the doors themselves are really beautiful, and I love that they're made of natural materials, and they have, like, a nice heft to them. Yeah. It's the heft that I mm-hmm. like. It's, but and then and that's you know yeah. They're <clears throat> currently they do need some maintenance, and I I think that the the amount of maintenance they're going to need is going to diminish as the years pass. Mm-hmm. And there's you know there's I think there's more that we need to do with the doors. But the key is. Is that the door, the the the, the uh, back door, opened itself somehow? Yes. On the coldest day we've had this year. Right. Exactly. And it may have been open for more than a full 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And so it influenced the the mass temperature. Um, and so it, it influenced the annualized thermal inertia that we were trying to do some tests with. Right. And then Paul was like, oh, well, what you need to do is get it back up to 85. And it's like, yeah, that is that is a massive undertaking. <laughs> it was like two weeks the last time. <laughs> and so... It uh, did go quicker the second time, however. Okay. Um, it still wasn't an easy undertaking, but it didn't take weeks of work. It was more like days leading up to it and then a long day of burning the stove. So you did hit 85 again. I did. I did. Okay. All right. All right. Sort of. So this is an interesting thing. We have two tracking thermometers in the Wofati. One is on the interior of the the front wall, which is an exterior wall. That's slightly confusing phrasing, but it's inside the building on an exterior wall. The other one is also inside the building, but it's on a mass wall in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And the one on the front wall, the exterior wall, is closer to the stove as well as having the stove or the um, rocket cooktop forgive me um, as well as having the exhaust pipe from the rocket cooktop running through that wall so it tends to read at a higher temperature than the one in the bedroom and it's higher up too and it's higher up as well so um Averaged out, uh, they were in the 80s, but the one on the exterior wall actually managed to get up to 91 or 92. The one on the bedroom wall was still in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so we declared that to be good enough as far as attempting to artificially charge the mass. So it would be good to get that interior wall thermometer up to 85. Right. Um, And that would be a much bigger undertaking. That was also when we had the issue with um, the stove door exploding and the carbon monoxide alarm going off. Um, And so we kind of called it quits on attempting to you know, raise the temperature anymore that day. Okay, you gotta you gotta address those two things now. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Because otherwise, it's like everybody's gonna think you gotta get out of there. You're gonna die. Right. Paul, Paul right. is a monster for subjecting you to this. <laughs> Paul is not a monster. I am an adult, <laughs> and uh, Paul is not you know locking me in the wofati like Bluebeard or anything. Mm-hmm. Um. So, the stove door. I'll address first. Um. I cobbed around what used to be a brick stove and fitted into the front where you add the wood in is a Pyrex casserole dish lid, which functions as the door to the stove. Um, During 
the attempt to the second attempt to raise the temperature up to 85 uh, that door sort of very gently exploded um, it like kind of cracked and plopped off the front of the stove um, and that seems to be an issue with the temperature differential of or the thermal shock that the glass experiences Possibly because it's too close to the fire inside. It's not super clear what's happening to the stove lid, but it's experiencing some kind of thermal shock, and this has happened in the past, and it happened this time. Um, if it happens again, we'll be using a different type of glass and re-cobbing the opening to fit a new door, but we haven't got around to that yet. We have the new we have the new glass. It's that amber glass. Right, right. Uh, they call it ceramic glass or something like that. Uh, okay, it, but it's a different shape from the current door, and so we have to like redo the cob work on the stove in order to use it, and that hasn't been a priority yet because we had an extra casserole dish lid that fit. Um, so that's what happened to the door. Uh, regarding the carbon monoxide alarm, um, I did have that go off, which, by the way, Paul provides the carbon monoxide alarm specifically so we don't, you know, die because he's not a monster. Um, and usually there's no issue with it. There was an issue that day, which, as best we can tell, was because I was having to remove coals frequently from the stove in order to put fresh wood in there to keep it burning hot enough in order to get the temperature up to 85. Um, and when I was doing that, it was introducing smoke to the room before I could get the coal bucket outside um, in between these things. Plus, then, of course, the door exploded, so the stove was not closed, which you really want it to be in order not to have smoke drafting into your room. The important part from what you just said is the rocket cooktop is working flawlessly and does not put carbon monoxide into the room. But if you take burning material, actively burning material out, out of, of it, it yes. and then store it in the same room as you. I didn't store it in the same you room. You stored it there I, for 30 seconds, okay, yes, which then set sure. off the alarm. I mean, that is my best guess. It was not like a one-to-one -one thing where I took the coals out and the alarm immediately went off. But that is my guess as to right. what caused it to happen. I also <laughs> would slightly object to the word flawlessly on Rocket Cooktop operation. Most of the time it works great. With respect to carbon monoxide. With respect to carbon monoxide. Flawless. I've, Flawless. I've, I've never had the carbon monoxide alarm other mm. than that day indicate um, any reading, much less, you know, sounding yeah. the alarm. However, I do occasionally smell smoke when starting the rocket cooktop, um, particularly if you're using a lot of cardboard to start it. But I would say that's probably more in the realm of user error. Let's let's talk about the rocket cooktop for a moment. Okay. Um, uh, first of all. It is one of Peter Vandenberg's earliest experiments with his double shoebox design. Right. So it is experimental. And, and I mean, okay, the two of you, how many experiments do we currently have going on here at Wheaton Labs right now? Lots. <clears throat> 7,000. Do we have, I'm, I'm going to guess active experiments right now, we probably have more than 100. Does that sound about so they can't hear you nod? <laughs> That's a good guess. It's, any, it's anybody's guess. It's anywhere between 100 and 7,000. <laughs> um, 100 doesn't sound unreasonable to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an experimental cooktop. Yes. And we're measuring the hell out of it in all sorts of ways. Right. And um, uh, the the lid is an experiment. Right. And, and and it's like so we've got lots to talk about there. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, in or what we're very passionate about for any of our rocket contraptions is, does it burn clean? What does the smoke look like? And I think what we're learning with this particular device is that it can burn clean, but it's going to take some skill building. Does that seem fair? 
That sounds correct to me. Um, it definitely produces smoke in the beginning from the exhaust pipe, not in the room. But that's that's built into the cake. You're going to get a bit in the and, beginning. And I think you just said once in a while you get a little bit of smoke in the room. That's correct. At the beginning. But not every time you burn. Which is another thing which is a major violation. Right. I mean, like, I'm aware, this, is, yeah. this is, we're going to scrap the whole motherfucker kind right. of a thing. Right, exactly. Um, that's why I'm addressing it is because it is an experiment, and in that regard, it's probably failing our test. Um, now, a yeah. J-tube style right. cooktop would be a strong win. The J-tube stuff is a proven champion right. and we have magnificent success with those. Right. However, if you were to do, why would you not want to do uh, a rocket cooktop using a J-tube? Josiah? Um, well, probably it has to do with the height of the riser and I mean, you could probably like bury the J-tube in, but the, the height of the riser means that your cooking surface would end up being pretty tall in order to have complete burn before you have those right. like those for a lot of people touching. a lot of people their eyes would barely meet the cooking surface sure. <laughs> and that's a that's a weird ass way to cook right <laughs> people people would object and that was another funny thing too about the wafati is that the floors were 8 inches deep <laughs> Right. After we built the cob floors, we had to like build, we had to leave space to build a lower cooking platform because I had to, you know, hunch over in order to cook on the cooktop. So the cooktop was built at a decent height. And then suddenly, before there were floors, and suddenly it got eight <laughs> inches lower into the ground. Exactly. And it's like, yeah. okay, so lesson learned. <laughs> you got to start off with a freaky tall uh, oven, and then when you put the cob floor in, then it comes out to a normal height. Right. And I'm like five foot six, five foot seven, somewhere in there. So yeah, Paul and Josiah would definitely suffer cooking on that. Although I do cook on it all the time. Yeah, that's true. And, he and it's not that. Big. It's not deal. too bad. Yeah. It's on, I mean it's it's 30 inches, so it's a little bit low, but I don't mind. Do you guys use that little platform much? <laughs> not really. It's become the meditation platform mostly. <laughs> we we built it and thought it looked lovely and we don't use it for cooking that much. Probably because the kitchen is on the wrong side of the stove for you to stand on the platform. Right. Like, you know, like, once the lower cell is the dining room and has more, the food is more centered there, I suspect we'll use the platform more, which is how it was designed. Yeah. We just haven't gotten around to building a table shelves <laughs> or anything like that. All right. I want to add some quick notes about the rocket cooktop. Yes. Um, uh, first of all, uh, it is designed to cook, not heat. Mm-hmm. So, and although Peter originally added a bench to the side for heating, hmm. then uh, it was not working. We couldn't get it to work. And so Donkey came by and he made a ton of modifications. And the first modification he did was remove the bench. Because it's like, in order to be able to test the annualized thermal inertia on the Wafati, we need to not have a heat source. And so the rocket cooktop is designed to put heat to your food and then take the heat outside. So it's like, it's supposed to be for summertime. When you're cooking in the summertime, it's supposed to not heat up the space. Although, I kind of think that um, in a wafati, um, it won't heat up the space in the summertime. Even if it kind of, even if we kept all that heat. But I kind of want to, I want to be able to test the annualized thermal inertia and so it's important that we do not have a heater in there. Right. So this is a rocket cooktop. The other thing is, is that this is definitely not a rocket stove. I think vocabulary is killing us in getting acceptance of rocket mass heaters and, in this case, rocket cooktops. Because you say rocket stove, people assume it's a, a, a camp stove, an, an outdoor camp stove. And then if you say that, if you say rocket stove, they immediately assume you're burning wood in the middle of your living room or something and right. not venting the exhaust outside. Yeah. And it's like, that is not what we're doing. The rocket cooktop is vented to the outside. Right. So I think it's important to be able to say that. <clears throat> All right. 
Oh, another another plug about the rocket cooktop. So there's currently a video that is 99% done about <laughs> cooking on the rocket cooktop in Allerton Abbey. So that's going to come out shortly. Keep on your the edge of your seat. I know you're really excited about it. <laughs> so... Uh, I would have to say, and there's a reason why we, why you chose to create that video, and it it came from comments. So basically, we had a quick video about the rocket cooktop, just a quick little like, there it is, and look at it's yeah. cool, and like you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, uh, I think there was a mention of like Fred one time, you know, measured the temperature on the surface at a thousand degrees, which. Your uh, standard uh, cooktops get to about 550, 600 degrees. Mm-hmm. So a thousand degrees, that's that's Woo-hoo. pretty pretty cool. And then um, uh, then there got to be a bunch. Of, so there's a quick mention of that in the video. And then there were all these comments about you can't cook on something that's a thousand degrees. Right. You'll burn the fuck out of everything. Yeah. You guys are a bunch of fucking idiots. And I'm kind of like, oh, for so it's kind of like. With a wood cooktop, or, you know, if it's going to be a, a wood cook stove, right. like old school, or this kind of thing, it works a different way. Right. There is the hot spot. So rather than, like, setting your dial to medium heat, right. what you do is you move the pan to medium heat. Right. And and there's the hot over there. And it's like, or you could put less wood in it, and then the hottest point is now medium heat. Yeah. It's a different way of doing it. So now I said, oh, this has just gotten to be, like, I I can't believe people are this stupid. We have to, now we have to, we have to make a video that shows how do you cook on a rocket cooktop because I, I I guess you know it's a bit of information that's not out there and that's why people are saying this ridiculous stuff. Everything's gonna burn. That's too hot. Which you know when you're gonna if you're gonna boil some water, thousand degrees. It's great. It sure boils that water faster than six hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you turn your burner onto high. We've got super high. <laughs> It'll boil that water even faster. And it's like uh, your your electric cooktop is hooked up to 220. Ours is hooked up to 880. Fuck you. <laughs> right. I mean, definitely you can move the food around to different burners. You can put less wood in there. You can cook as the fire is kind of gearing up or as it's gearing down. It's it's plenty adjustable for cooking and we don't you know scramble our eggs at a thousand degrees we're not stupid (laughs) (laughs) so the video is coming all right i want to change gears a little bit uh we need to so so we're this is going to be our first gertitude example and uh one of the things that we might may even do a little bit of this winter because we're going to change gears as soon as the berm shed's done there's going to be a lot of focus on uh, window quilts and um, uh, the junk pole fence and getting ready for gardening right. and gardening. we'll even start putting mulch up on top yes um, so yes we want mulch on top for a couple of reasons one we want to garden on top of the abbey and that would improve the organic matter in the soil eventually it also we speculate will help to insulate the abbey a bit um, from the top because of reasons construction, emergency comedy, we don't have a duff layer um, on the Wofadi, which is part of the design, and so we might potentially be able to compensate for that with um, a mulch layer. I think it'd be good to have the duff layer and the mulch layer, but I, I think that would be fantastic. I kind of think that the mulch layer is going to help with insulating the building, mm-hmm. the same way that mulch helps to insulate the soil Certainly. for your growies. But I kind of, I'm, I'm really curious. And and as we get more snow this year and, and we get the heat up inside this year and things of that nature, I'm really curious. Like, like for example, will we get a bunch of snow on Allerton Abbey and then uh, some of that snow on top will melt, thus showing that the top of Allerton Abbey is effectively a type of season extender. Right. And so we might be able to get tomatoes to grow until December just because it's growing on top of Allerton Abbey. Yeah, we're super excited about trying that out. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about our imaginary future garden. Uh, cats. 
Right. Cats. Um, so one of the issues with gardening around here is simply predator pressure. Um, ground squirrels in particular. There used to be growies at the abbey. There are no longer very many growies at the abbey. The same issue was experienced at base camp. Um, and so we're trying to breed a race of super cats in, <laughs> <laughs> in order to eat all the predators of our seeds, which I suppose they're not really predators, but seed eaters. So there was a feral cat that came around the house, and Jocelyn eventually baited it in close enough to be able to finally one day, like, pet it a little bit. And the the cat eventually grew to love Jocelyn, and Jocelyn loved the cat. And then one day the cat was pregnant. It was obviously pregnant. And um, and I think we should one of these days record a whole podcast about because um, I'm sure that there's a bunch of people freaking the fuck out like you should spay that cat and it's like right. I don't want to get into it now right the whole another day Later. but the um, but first of all with this cat hanging around because Jocelyn and the cat are loving each other suddenly all of our growies out on the berm just became 10 15 times more lush than in previous years and in previous years it looked like we it 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 was a city for chipmunks mm-hmm. like they like any given time you'd go out you'd scare all the chipmunks right. and the whole thing would turn into this like living thing of like movement in a real creepy fashion as all the chipmunks are moving and as the weeks passed the chipmunks became less afraid of us and there was just there had to be 150 chipmunks out here it was just it was sickening how many there were and then the cat came by and suddenly everything grew huge and lush right similar thing about Allerton Abbey <clears throat> lots of growies were planted lots of seeds lots of lush life and then chipmunks hundreds of chipmunks I actually had um, a squirrel come. It was a squirrel and not a chipmunk. Um, while we were planting on Fred's plot, I had, you know, used my shovel to to kind of lever open a space for an acorn, and I put the acorn in the hole and was about to close it, and a chipmunk came or a squirrel came and like literally took it out of the hole with my shovel still in it and ate it in front of me, which was kind of a <laughs> surreal experience. <laughs> we're totally fucking getting. So now we have an elite, an elite squirrel killing posse in training. Um, Most of them are kittens, but uh, we we now have four cats um, that are hanging out at the Abbey, and uh, they love it there. So yeah, this this feral cat had kittens. Yes. And um and of course we couldn't we we kind of because the, the the mama cat was huge right and then one day she no longer was and it's like but she had hidden those kittens <laughs> so we didn't and then and then one day I think that the mama cat got sick and couldn't be around the kittens and then the kittens came out looking right. for food and that's when we're all like kittens <laughs> I'm sure we all remember that day oh, yes yeah and uh, so they I think it took three days until they all had names um, and uh, and so there's lots of lots of kitten love going yeah, on yeah they're great so now there's cats up there so we can grow things and not just simply feed the chipmunks uh, and then of course the junk pole fence goes up and we'll not be feeding the deer and we could actually um, move towards gratitude alright how to do the annualized thermal inertia test next year first of all spring summer and fall what do you do well, I mean, one, you don't leave all the windows open and you actually live in the building um, so that you can operate it properly. But essentially what you're going to want to do is open the windows up when it's warmer outside than it is inside so that the mask can charge. And I think even more importantly than that is to close the windows when the temperature outside is colder than what you want the thermal inertia te- yes. temperature to be. Correct. So that's going to mean like, okay, it's summertime and you know that uh, it's going to drop down to 50 degrees tonight. Right. And uh, and it's 80 during the day. Sure. So you leave it open during the day. 
And then you close it up. And so are y'all hot during the day? Well, no. Um, even with the Wofari mm. not fully operating properly this year, when we were inside during the summer, it was very pleasantly cool compared to the outside. So there was a little bit of boot competition for who got to work in the Abbey when it was, you know, 100 degrees outside. Did we hit 100 this year? We did. I, oh, okay. I think we did. It was close. It was over 90. I don't really look at the weather, but okay. somebody once said, damn, it's 100 degrees out here. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So we did go over 100. Yeah. I mean, it does, we don't go over 100 very often. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that was like one day. Mostly it was in the 80s or 90s at the hottest, but okay. it was a lot cooler in the Wofati. I've got two last notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is, is that for annualized thermal inertia to work, to get it up to 72 degrees mm-hmm. through the winter, it could take years. Right. So, so we are doing indicative tests now. Next year is the first real test. Right. And maybe by the time you get to February, um, it'll be there'll be a day when it's zero outside and it's 60 inside. Right. That'd be a powerful win. Um, I agree with that entirely. And if I'm remembering correctly, didn't Mike Ayler on his building say that it took about three years? So I'm I'm thinking it's uh um or no the passive annual right, heat storage right John Haight and Hade. also uh uh Don is it Dan, Don Stevens right so it's um, mostly John Haight didn't say that so much but he kind of alluded to it but Don Stevens definitely said, said it, it and his stuff's called passive annual uh geo solar okay I think okay. is what it no is that right annualized geosolar that's what Don uh, Stevens' okay. work is called annualized okay. geosolar and his website uh, he just stopped maintaining it and we managed to get a copy of the PDFs that he had out there and we've right. got them on Permi so so we're keeping that information around mm-hmm. but uh, his his designs um, yeah he would say it would usually take at least three years to get it to a, a very comfortable temperature Um but I kind of feel like uh, um, it would be good. Another good indicative test this year would be like let's do the the get that um, uh, interior wall uh, uh, by the mass, the interior mass mm-hmm. wall thermometer to say 85, right. even if it's just for a moment. Right. And then let's see how we do it. Now I predict that what'll happen is is that it'll be. Like the next day, it'll be um, 69. Right. And then, um, uh, and then it will gradually go back down to like 50, yeah. but over like I don't know two weeks. Right. That's my guess. Um, and but that that still that still would be um, indicative. Right. That the mass is holding uh, temperature uh, for weeks. Right. As opposed to days. Because, like, a, the mass in a rocket mass heater will hold the heat for days. Right. But we also set the temperature to be, like, 120 or mm-hmm. something like that. Whereas what we're shooting for is to set the mass temperature to something like maybe 75. Right. Yeah. And so, all right. Last note that I have anything. Okay, the last note I have is, is nothing to do with annualized thermal inertia or the Wafati. Do you guys have anything else to add about annualized thermal inertia or Wafati stuff? We've covered all my notes. Um, one thing that I have written down is is that um, you know because because the windows are the lar- currently the largest heat loss. Um, I was realizing how important it is to have good frost drainage away from the front and rear of the building because that's where your windows are at. Um, so that's something. And another thing is just because uh, we're having some some humidity issues inside mm-hmm. because th- you know currently we're cooking which releases humidity and we're boiling water which releases humidity and we're breathing which releases humidity and we don't have anything that would absorb that humidity besides the the cob materials which does absorb some um you know it it absorbs and wicks away some humidity but uh that's something that we're gonna have to figure out eventually yeah that's been an issue all right. I mean, it's like, what do you? How are you? Are you seeing like a lot of condensation on the glass? Yes, mm-hmm. we're seeing condensation on the glass. Um, in some cases, ice, and one of our walls grew a fungus. <laughs> we're not winning winning that's, any good housekeeping you know, awards. That's how you know it's real wood. <laughs> Only real wood grows real fungus. 
Okay. Yeah, we. I discovered it last week while cleaning. Um, that was not one of my finer moments as a housekeeper. Well, all right. I think step one yeah. is that we got to get the interior temperature up to something closer mm. to 70 on a regular basis. Right. Because yeah. having it be around 50, mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot more condensation. Yes. So yeah. I think, you know, that's so, yeah, we got to find a way to get the temperature up. And that's going to be like... All right, um, you know, and I, it, it, it's unfortunate that we don't have like <clears throat> some kind of heater that we can just take up there right. for, uh, you know, a, a, a couple of days and just you know get the heat up. Right. And it's like, okay, so all we got is a cooktop. Right. And it's like, well, it kind of heats it, but very slowly. Oh. It's a little bit of heat. It's and not really usually, designed to heat the space, but right. And usually, when you're using the cooktop, you're either cooking or boiling water, which actually increases the humidity. If you run it without cooking anything on it, it does decrease the humidity, which my thermometers also track, but not... It's not really designed to do that. We might bring up a dehumidifier and run that off the Volkswagen or something, but... This is another thing, which is that um, Carrie Rogers just purchased us a thermoelectric fan, um, which we were thinking would be helpful for... uh, you know, using the the rocket cooktop in a way that it's not designed to be used, which is heating the space. Um, you know, because you have all this heat coming off the cooking surface it's, itself. So if the, if you then have a fan running on top of that, that'll help to move the heat around the yeah. the rest of the structure a little bit better. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, and in fact, along those lines, I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, that have been supporting our projects one way or another, but, um, uh, many years ago, I think, it, in fact, it was, uh, towards the tail end of our first winter here, I heard about, um, Emily and Tony doing some soul labor. So they, on the weekends, they just decided to do a little project of their own. And I didn't hear about it until it was like 95% done. I didn't know that they were doing this. <clears throat> um, and that's the bee hut. Yeah. And so the bee hut is one of the coolest things we have. And that was made entirely on the week. And they were just like, we want to try and see if we can make something like this. And we want to, you know. So anyway, they, they did a wonderful job. Um, and it, it, it's a great thing. But now I, I know that, uh, there have been people saying that they want to build this winter a sauna. And it's like, that is not on our priority list at all. Right. And, it's on my priority list. And, yeah, we're and on so, it. And so then people are kind of like, you know, well, we'll need some materials, and we'll need this, and we'll need that. And then, you know, so it's like, okay, the expenses look like they're going to come in at about maybe $1,000. And so um, somebody asked, like, what can I get for you guys? You know, because I'm grooving on all this. I want, you know. So I said, I heard they want to build a sauna. And so then this guy said, give me a materials list and how much it's going to cost, and I'll buy all the materials. Right. So, so maybe we'll have a sauna. That would be really cool. And I replied to the boot love thread um, a couple of hours ago talking about that, actually. Um, we're rehashing our design a bit after talking to you yesterday and having right. some conversations. But our hope is that this weekend we can manage to get the design like totally nailed down and get a price list um, because that's super generous and we would love to be on the ball with that. Uh, it definitely is soul labor, like Paul said, so we can only work on it you know, once we've fulfilled all our <laughs> other obligations and projects we're committed to, but that's just I and I have been really grooving on the sauna idea and that's our fun project right yeah, now. Yeah, I think that's that's something that would be really soul building for me is to is to do some innovation in this realm of luxurious off grid bathing. You know, like how how do you how do you find a way to to get clean and and make your body feel good, especially after a lot of physical labor and it's you know, it's cold outside and it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to get clean when it's 20 degrees outside unless you come down to base camp. Right. Right. And so a lot of people come down to base camp. They use the shower down here mm-hmm. um, and the Fisher Price house. But um, that is a way that a lot of people 
of days gone by and cold climates, it was the sauna, which is their way of cleaning. Um, and I'm not a big sauna person, but I know that we had a big long chat about the rocket element that's going to be in yes. it. And so uh, I'm willing to donate some of my materials to that. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't laugh when I say that. <laughs> Paul's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, uh, but, uh, and then of course, you know, there'll, there'll probably be some fasteners and stuff that I'll, I'll be also donating some, <laughs> somewhere along. The way. But I, I think that's a whole nother podcast for another day. And look, we're late to get to work. The sun is up. In fact, that's, that's something is the boot camp we decided to do is like, uh, we started it on the 10th of December. Maybe, maybe next year we should start it on December the 1st. But we're, we've decided to go until January 10th of working six hours a day instead of eight hours a day because, um, the days are so short right now. There's, and it's like, I'm a little worried about going out and trying to work when it's kind of dark. Right. You know, a little, little on the, uh, dawn and dusk kind of thing, you know? So, um, uh, I thought that maybe we could do some interior things like podcasts and, um, like let's, let's work over the big list of all the projects we need to work on. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff that can be done, uh, at this table. There's always so much, you know, researching and designing that can be done on the upcoming projects. Yeah. Totally. If you like this sort of thing, Come on out to the forums at permies.com where we're going to talk about wafatis, homesteading, and permaculture all All the time. time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.